How are you this morning? Good, good. Uh, I'm so glad to be with you. I'm excited about this series that, that uh, the Lord has led us to called GPS. It stands for Gifts, Passion, and Service. And, I'm sorry, story. Yes, yeah, story, thank you. That, you know, which has to do with our service. I mean, it all makes sense. But yes, story. Thank you, honey. Um, she's good at that. Last week we talked about the fact that uh, we looked at Ephesians 1 and the fact that God is all-powerful. In fact, Paul uses all these different descriptors of God's power. And then he says that Jesus is the head of the church, the body of Christ, and that it's through the church that he's going to, and he uses this phrase, very interesting, fill all in all. Isn't that interesting? I love the mystery of that, that Jesus as head of the church, all-powerful, through the church is going to fill all in all. I, I just believe that there's something there that is really special about what God wants to do through you. You're the church, right? And so I'm excited today to, to get into a little bit more of that. Todd uh, Wilson, in the beginning of the book that we're kind of looking through, the book is called Find Your Place uh, by Rob Wagner and uh, Brian Phipps. There's, this is a quote from the introduction. It says, followers of Jesus are being called to engage the fight against loneliness, poverty, and other forms of injustice. Followers of Jesus are influencing enterprise and the marketplace to value their people instead of using them. Jesus is leading more and more of his people into mission where they live, work, study, and play. I believe Jesus, listen to this, I believe Jesus has called each of his followers in a way that would meet every need in every community if they only had a way to locate that calling. Think about that statement just for a minute. That Jesus would meet every need in every community if the body of Christ knew their calling, knew their gifts, their passion, and their story, and what the purpose was behind all of it. And that, that concept just blows my mind. Because we know how many needs there are around our communities, right? So many and yet, how many churches today are filled with people who don't know their gifts, don't understand their passions, and can't reconcile their story with the, the story that God is writing around us for his glory to fill all in all? Last week, we talked about this gifts assessment. If you weren't here, I don't know if we still have that um, image, but at giftpassionandstory.com, you can do an assessment. It's a free assessment. It takes... 20 to 30 minutes, gift, story, passions, just our series, GPS, giftstorypassions.com, and, or I'm sorry, passion, giftstorypassion, all singular, .com, and uh, it's a free assessment, 20 to 30 minutes, and after you finish it, you get a readout of some of your giftings. Uh, it's also important that you kind of filter some of these giftings and you talk about these giftings with people that you're in community with. And so tonight, if you're at a city group that meets on Sunday nights, tonight I hope that you're going to be talking about the results of your spiritual gifts assessment. If you haven't done it, you need to do it this afternoon or before your city group meets this week because I think it's important for us to kind of work through these together. Some of you are going, okay, i got to do that. And you'll find my friend Julian thought he could maybe do it at the end of church on his, on his cell phone. How many questions did you say? 166? Yeah, so you can't do it there on your cell phone right now. All right, so do it later after our service today and be ready for City Group to talk about it, all right? Last week, we talked about this idea that God has created us in Ephesians 2. He says he calls us 
a masterpiece. I was sitting in our city group in Conway last Sunday night, and I said, who here really feels like a masterpiece? And everybody simultaneously kind of dropped their head and go, you know, do you feel like a masterpiece? Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but most likely, if you're like me, you don't often feel like a masterpiece. You don't often look in the mirror and go, masterpiece. You don't often look at your story. You don't often look at things around your life and go, masterpiece. Friends, I want to just encourage you this morning as we get going. If you look at that verse again in Ephesians 2, I want you to see that it takes faith, right? We're saved by grace through what? Faith. We are saved by Jesus' grace through faith. It's not, it's not of works, right? It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And then it says that he calls us a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus in that same faith. In other words, the same faith that saves us is the same faith it takes to believe that God has made you a masterpiece. So some of you are going, I don't see if I can be a masterpiece. I don't get, okay, do you believe that Jesus has saved you? And you go, yeah. Okay, take that same faith it takes to apply to salvation and apply that to the fact that he calls you a masterpiece. And then in that, understand that God has a plan for your life. And that in this masterpiece of Jesus saving you and equipping you and gifting you and sending you into the world around you to change it. Because he says, after he says you're a masterpiece, he says that he's done so in Christ Jesus that you may walk in good works. God has a plan for his people and it's not just to attend church. I want to say that again because I really want you to hear it. God has a plan for his people and it's not, listen, to just attend this. This is the tiniest little piece of what the body of Christ is meant to do. And yet for centuries we've said, just come here and you're good. No, the enemy wants to deceive us and think that this is the church. This is a building and this is a meeting, but you're the church. And God has called us to go and do and be a people of God where we live. Using the gifts of God within us. To change this world, not just to attend a service. God, change our minds, change our hearts, and make us a people ready to do your will in this world. That is my prayer. I wasn't planning to get that fired up that early in the message. I've got to save some of that. Yes, so the big question is, is after your spiritual assessment, your spiritual gifts assessment, if you've taken it, is what are the gifts? And what is the purpose for your life? Because you have one. If there's breath in your lungs, there's purpose for your life. Can I call you to something so much bigger? Can I wake you up this morning to something so much bigger than your job, than your family, than your heartache, than your brokenness, than your history, than your lack of faith? Can I call you to something huge? It's not your story. It's his. And the sooner we understand that it's not our story, that God has called us to something bigger than ourselves. It's not about me. Life is not about me. I am just a, 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 a role player. You are just a player in this beautiful story of God. He is the main character. And until you 
take yourself off the throne of your life and place Jesus on it, you won't see the purpose of your life. You'll just keep spinning. You'll keep trying to satisfy. You'll just keep trying to please everybody. I don't have time for that anymore, Lord. Jesus is coming back. We don't have time to play church anymore. We gotta be his people who say, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. This is a subversive prayer against our culture, against this world. Jesus, use me for the gifts you've given me to change this place. God wants to do that. So what are your gifts? What are your passions? What is your story telling you about the purpose that God is writing you into? Because I think if we'll take a look at all three of those together, I bet we can find out what God wants to do in you and through you. And it is my prayer, friends, that after this series, after this assessment, after some dialogue and wrestling and prayer, that there's a way that God unlocks something in you you've never known before. That God unlocks a purpose in you that all of a sudden you go, I've always felt this, but I didn't know that that was something God had planned. And then you begin to move in that direction. I'm praying that God use you in amazing ways. Today we're going to talk specifically about gifts. All right? You all have them. Uh, The Greek word for gifts is charismata. And what it means is gifts of grace. So in the same grace that you're saved in, God has given us gifts of grace. We're saved by grace and we're, and we're given gifts of grace, okay? So the, the gifts that we have are, are only by his grace. If you know Jesus as your savior today, you have two sets of gifts. You have a natural set of gifts, something that you're just good at, you're just born with, it's just you. And if you're saved though, we have a, an additional set. We have a supernatural set of gifts. And that's what I want us to look at today. How does God want to use both our natural and our supernatural giftings for his glory? And the way I want to do that is to talk about a story that we're all pretty familiar with. We're all familiar with the story of David, right? And he's got a big story. We're going to focus in on some of his his younger life and his fight with Goliath to look at seven lessons about gifting. Can we do that? That's what I want us to do. The first thing I want you to see, and I'm going to give you seven different things here. The first one, quickly, is... God loves the underdog. Don't you love movies about underdogs? And when I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think about Adrian. Which one is that? Rocky. Uh, Remember the one with the little guy? His name was Rudy. Yeah, it's a great, great movie. Uh, Forrest Gump is a great, great movie about an underdog, right? We love the underdog. We want them to succeed. We want them to win until we're looking in the mirror and you're going, I'm sure not special. I got nothing. And we don't see ourselves as the hero of the underdog, right? The underdog who can make it. But listen, God's story is filled with underdogs. It's almost as if you go through the Bible and you go story after story after story after story after story are filled with underdogs. Let me give you some examples. David himself was way too young, right? Abraham and Sarah were way too what? They were way too old, Let's think about some more. Uh, Moses, he was a murderer. Paul, right? Murderer. Attacked the church of Jesus. Rahab, prostitute. I love the story of Gideon. Gideon's just a frightened farmer. That's all he is, he's a frightened farmer. 
When he looked in the mirror, he saw a frightened farmer. That's my role. That's who I am. Do you remember what the angel called him? He said, hey, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, right? Mighty warrior. That's not his name. He's like, no, no, no. Um, I think it's two doors down. Gideon, frightened farmer. And it takes a long time for the angel to finally get to the place and the Lord to show him, no, you're, you're a mighty warrior. See, the thing I want you to see this morning is that God loves to use the underdog. And you may look in the mirror and see one. You may see a frightened farmer. And God's going, mighty warrior. That's who you are. David is that underdog in this story. You might remember the story that Saul, King Saul has displeased the Lord. Uh, he has tried to be uh, prophet, priest, and king, all the same guy, and, and God is displeased with him and decides to uh, take away the anointing from his life as king and place it on David's life, right? And so he's choosing a new king. Of course, we don't know it's David yet, but he tells Samuel, go to Bethlehem to Jesse's house, and I will show you which of his sons are to be anointed king. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, finds Jesse's home, tells Jesse, I want to see your sons. And Jesse brings out his boys, and these are strapping, young, awesome men, right? In fact, this is what Samuel even says. First Samuel 16, 6 says, when they came, he looked on Eliab, or Eliab, that's the oldest, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. <laughs> before, uh, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Okay. So Jesse's lined up all these boys, and one by one, Samuel goes through every son. God doesn't confirm one of those sons. Samuel's scratching his head. He goes, is this it? I mean, do you have any more sons? And what's sad in this story is that David is such an underdog in his own family that his father doesn't even include him as a son. And he goes, oh, well, I mean, I got the runt in the field. Some theologians, there's a, there's a Hebrew word used in this story uh, that could mean illegitimate son. So maybe, maybe David was uh, through the bloodline of, of Jesse, yet not from his wife. And maybe there's a, a cultural illegitimacy there. I don't know. But he doesn't consider him with the rest of the sons. And so he says, well, I got the runt in the field. And so they go and get David. Samuel says, get him, we'll wait. And David walks in. And as soon as David walks in, God speaks to Samuel's heart. First Samuel 16, 12, he says, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, which means he was just had a tanned complexion. And had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. See, what I want us to see in this first point that God uses the underdog is that regardless of what you think of yourself and your gifting, regardless of even what your family has told you, because some of you, your families have said you're dumb, you're stupid, you'll never amount to anything. It doesn't matter what they say. And it doesn't even matter what you say or what you think, because the whole day you may just be going, hey, no, 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 frightful farmer. I'm good with that. And yet God is saying, no, mighty warrior, you're something different. You are who I say you are, right? 
You have the giftings I say you have. And we have to have that faith, regardless of what other people may think. What matters is that God thinks of you. That's what matters. What matters is what God has gifted in you, and what matters is what God has planned in good works for you. That's what matters. Here's the second thing. God uses your natural gifts. I want to call it your sling. This is what they call it in Find Your Place. Your sling. David was a shepherd, and as he was, uh, yeah, not, not that kind of sling, Adam. Uh, David was a shepherd, and one of his weapons that he would work with sheep all the time to protect the sheep was his sling. Every day, I mean, he was amazing with this thing. Amazing. And every day he was using that sling. He was using his staff. He had just tools that were his everyday uh, aspect of his life, natural gifting. Many of you have natural giftings that you use every day in your jobs, at home. In fact, they're so natural to you, you don't even think about them. You're just good at it, right? Whatever it is you're thinking of in your life, you just go, well, yeah, I just, I just do that. That's because you're gifted naturally that. God uses our natural gifts. Look in 1 Samuel 17, 33. Says, and I want to just skip ahead in our story just for a moment because I want you to see David sharing a little bit about some of his natural gifts when he was in the field with the sheep. This is right before he goes into the, the battle with, with uh, Goliath, and he's, he's trying to help King Saul understand he's got this, right? 1733 says, But Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this uh, Philistine to fight him, for you are only a youth, while he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a sheep from the flock, I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. What David is arguing here to King Saul is, hey, I got this. You haven't seen my skills with the natural abilities that I have. I I can do this. But on top of that, of course, he knows his faith is in the Lord. But God uses even our natural ability. I love there's a story in the book about a guy who's an IT guy. Right? He works in computers and the Internet and those kinds of things with companies. And the Lord showed him his passion was to care for people at like a food pantry or a, a a soup kitchen kind of a thing. And so he's thinking, I guess, I guess that's where I'm supposed to serve. And so he goes to a food pantry and he starts to serve and he gets to know some of the leaders and he finds out their greatest need isn't him on the line serving soup. He begins to find out that the greatest need of the, of the food kitchen is that they need a new website. And his eyes kind of wide open. He goes, that's what I do. That's what I do. That's who I am. I do that every day. That's nothing. I can do that. And he began to understand that God had placed his natural giftings and his passions together, and now God was going to use him in this ministry. That's what God wants to do, even in our natural gifts. Here's the third thing. God will promote you in his time and for his purpose. God will promote you in his time and for his purpose. I think this part of the story is interesting to me. (laughs) And I love the way even the text uh, describes it, and I'll get to it in just a second. But here, David comes from the field. Family's having a big shindig, and everybody's looking at him funny. He's just got his sling, he's got his staff. He's like, yeah, <laughs> what's up? Samuel rushes over to him, pours oil on his head, and anoints him king of Israel. Are you kidding? David's standing there going, what just happened? What's going on? 
And it says that the spirit rushed upon David and all of a sudden it stayed with him for the rest of his life. And it was confirmed by the spirit of God and, and it's this amazing moment. Look in the text, 1 Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel, what's this sentence? And Samuel set out and went to Ramah. I just think that's the most interesting sentence. You mean there's not a huge party in Bethlehem? I mean, Jerusalem knows how to party, right? Israel knows how to throw week-long parties, especially for kings. Not, not today. He anoints David, and then it says, just kind of easily, Samuel sets out for Ramah. You know what I think is also implied here? David sets out back to the field. <laughs> Samuel goes to Ramah. David goes back to the stinky sheep. Really? You know, some of you are wait, wait, wait. You were just anointed king of Israel. Oil dripping from your, from your hair and from your beard. And you, and you can't even keep on hold of the staff. It's just, you're going back out there going, what just happened? Something's changed in me, but here I am shepherding sheep. Many of you may feel like you're in that moment right now. I know I've felt that way before so many times. God, you've given me gifts, you've given me dreams, and I can do it. Just give me the chance. And God says, shh, go over there and do the menial job. You go over there, you're the low man on the totem pole, and you just stay right there until I'm ready for you. So many of you feel like you're ready for the next stage or the next level with your gifting and your passion, God's going, shh, be humble, be patient, be willing to go back to the sheep. There will be a day that I whisper in someone's ear who you are and what you can do, and I will give you an opportunity. That's exactly what happened with David. 1 Samuel 16, we're going to break this up into, into three different sections of verses, starting with verse 14. The story says, now the spirit of the Lord left Saul. This is right after Saul sins against God as king. The spirit of the Lord left Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrified him. So now he sinned, the spirit of God leaves Saul, and David, uh, Je uh, Jesse, I'm sorry, Samuel anoints David king. Jump down to verse 17. Saul says to his servants, now select for me a man who can play well. And bring him to me. And then one of the young men responded and said, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite. He's a skillful musician, a valiant, mighty man, a warrior, skillful in speech, and a handsome man. And the Lord is with him. See, somebody noticed David. Somebody knew about David's giftings. He didn't have to go around going, Hey, beard's still dripping with oil, guys. I, I'm the anointed king. I need to probably lead this. He's not knocking on the palace door. Hey, new anointed king, <laughs> where's the new staff, right? No, he's with the sheep, waiting, being humble and patient. And God whispers in someone's ear that David is possibly the man. Let's jump down to verse 23. He says, so it came about, he, David gets hired basically. So it came about whenever the evil spirit of God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would feel re relieved and become well, and the evil spirit would leave him. David was a skilled musician, and he would play this lyre. It's like a ten-stringed instrument, and he evidently was very good because he was known around the area for being very skilled and talented. 
And I'm, just as a musician, can I just tell you, that doesn't happen overnight. My youngest is, is learning to play bass, and she looks really good with it. I mean, she's, she's doing good. She's learning. But it doesn't happen overnight, does it, babe? you got to practice. It takes a lot of hours. Malcolm Gladwell says, to be an expert in anything, it takes 10,000 hours. So that's going to take a while. David has taken a long time in his natural gifts to be better at playing the lyre, the harp. But something happens here beyond David that I want you to take a look at. I like the way the book puts this. It says God put his super on top of David's natural. Do you see that in the text? This is what happens. So number four, God adds the super to your natural. This is the harp. So if, if the natural is the sling, the supernatural is the harp. Because what happens? David's playing his instrument for a troubled, a burdened Saul. And I, I love instrumentation, and I believe the atmosphere sort of changes when music is played. It's wonderful, but that's kind of it. In order for it to be spiritual, God has to be involved. In order for it to like unburden your heart, God has to be involved. In order to run off demons, God has to be involved. It's a supernatural ability. And so David has that moment as he's playing. The text says that, that, that the evil spirit was, was, uh, would flee from Saul. So you have both natural abilities and supernatural abilities. Supernatural gifts are gifts given by God to bless people for God's purpose. That's what supernatural abilities are. Gifts given by God, and if you're saved, you have those. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have those gifts. For God's purposes, he wants to use that. I like the way Rob and Brian say in the book, our natural abilities can create wonderful things. But it is through our spiritual gifts that we discover a divine power to make disciples. Can't make disciples without Jesus' help and the Spirit's help. Strengthen the church for her mission, we need the Spirit for that. Fight demonic evil, Ephesians 6, we need the Spirit for that, right? Fully manifest the kingdom, we need the Spirit for that. Through the Holy Spirit and our, super, and our spiritual gifts, God empowers his church to bless the world at large. You have natural and supernatural gifts. Here's number five. God gives us unique gifts. They're different from one another. And we have to be careful not to compare. We have to be so careful. You know, sometimes we can go, oh, I just, I just wish I could cook like that guy. I just, I just wish I could do this like that guy. I just wish I had these kind of giftings. Don't do that. Because God in his wisdom has given each of us giftings to bless the church and the world, and they're perfect. They're perfect. Don't doubt them. So here's David. He's, he's humbly serving at home, even though he's been anointed king of Israel. He's still serving in the lowest position in the family, in the field. And yet his brothers have gone off to war. And there's even just a, you can pick up this a little bit in the, in the story as you read it in uh, the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. The father says, David, come here. I want you to go check on your brothers and take some food to the commander, just but check on them. You even get a sense that David's not the focus still, Right? Are the brothers okay? You go up there and find out. So you kind of get this slight again against David in a way. David goes to the battlefield. He begins to hear this booming voice. It's Goliath. 
and he finds the army of Israel and the commander, Saul of Israel, shaking in their boots. And he walks up and he's like, who is this guy defying the armies of the God of Israel, the living God of Israel? Who does this guy think he is? He's the only one thinking that. The rest of them are shaking, scared to death. So he gets up there. He gets to the front lines and he decides, I'm gonna take this guy out. <laughs> I love David's confidence, right? Not only in what he can do, but in who his God is, more importantly. So King Saul says, all right, well, come here. If you, if you think you can do it, let's talk, right? First Samuel 17, 38. Then Saul clothed David in his military attire and he put a bronze helmet on him and outfitted him with armor. And David strapped on his sword over his military attire and struggled at walking for he had not trained with this armor. So David said to Saul, I can't go out with these because I've not trained with them. And look at this next sentence. And David took them off. See, Saul's going, oh, if you're going to go against that guy, this is just going to be awful. Uh, he's thinking, this, he's just going to get hammered. Well, at least put on my, my gear. It's the best gear in the army. He tries it on, doesn't fit him. And David can't move. He can't do his normal things because he's not trained that way. And so he decides, I can't live in your giftings. I can't try to be you. I got to be me in how God has raised me and gifted me. I got to understand my gift is unique to me. And so he takes them off. I think that's such an important phrase. If you're trying to operate outside of your, your gifting and outside of your skill set and the gifting God has given you, take them off. Know that the Spirit has gifted you uniquely. Find out what they are and run in those. Don't compare your gifts to someone else. Don't think less of your gifting. Instead, embrace whatever it is that God has gifted you with and get to work in that area. Number six, God gives opportunities to take risks and stretch your faith. Some of you go, oh, I know that, the case. When you begin to understand your gifting and your passion and your story, God's going to give you an opportunity to take some risk. See, David's trust is, is, yes, in the confidence of his giftings, his natural giftings, but more importantly, it's his faith in the God of Israel to step into this fight, right? At, at some point, when we begin to understand our dreams, our passions, and our giftings, it's going to require huge risk. Henry Blackaby in his study, Experiencing God, which is, has always been one of my favorites, talks about a crisis of belief. Those of you who have studied that. You come to a place where you go, okay, I've got a crisis. Am I going to believe this stuff about God and this stuff about me, that I'm a masterpiece, that God has gifted me, and God has a plan for me to walk in that gifting to change this world? Am I going to believe that? And what does that look like? And then when God begins to give you dreams about what that looks like, sometimes they look way too big. They look way too big. I'll never forget, almost six years ago, feeling something stirring in my heart, um, I guess almost seven years ago, feeling God stirring in my heart with the work that I, where I was at at the church I was at. But I didn't, wasn't sure what that was gonna be. And, and of course, you know the story of me coming from, from Fellowship Bible Church over to Temple, Friends, I was shaking in my boots. I didn't see it. I didn't understand it. God, this doesn't, 
this doesn't play into my story, I don't think, God. I, that's not who I am. I'm a frightened farmer. That's all I am. God says, no, you're a mighty warrior. And I've got a major, huge task that you cannot do. <laughs> see, you see, that's the purpose of the underdog. That God shows himself faithful and enough in people who are not. And so I'd go, it took me a year. I prayed, Lord, please don't let make this be me. <laughs> Lord, please, I, I, don't, I can't do it. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna do it. I, this is not me. This is not. And I had to come to the place where I wondered, Lord, is this me? And I prayed and I wrestled and I kept going, I think this is me. And until the Lord showed it clearly to, to my family. And we said, okay. And we took off Saul's armor and we decided, okay, I'm on the battleground. Right? You take the step and all of a sudden you're looking back going, this is the scary part. This is risky. I don't know what happens out here. I may get creamed out here. This may not work. Those fears still live in me. My faith is not in me. It's in the God of the armies of Israel, the living God. So we step into the fray, understanding that God has gifted us and given us an opportunity to risk and to stretch our faith. Here's the last one. God uses you and all of your gifts, natural and supernatural, to do amazing things. First Samuel 17, 48, says, Then it happened when the Philistine came closer to meet David. This is on now. It's on, right? Goliath is like, okay, I'm done with this kid. And he starts to move toward him. Comes closer to David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I love it. David put his hand into his bag and took it took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead and the stone penetrated his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed, watch this sentence, it's very interesting the way it's written. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him and there was no sword in David's hand. Do you hear kind of how the writer's writing it? A little kid a little guy who is not a warrior, not in the army, had no sword, killed this guy with a stone and a sling. That's the, that's the way this is reading to me. God used this shepherd boy to do the impossible, just like he wants to use you, the person that looks in the mirror and goes, I don't see a masterpiece, God. I see a mess. That's what I see. I can't. I don't have it. God says, I'll give it. I'm not enough, God. He says, I am. Listen, when we talk about spiritual gifts, I want us to understand as believers in Jesus, you all have one. 1 Corinthians 7, 7, Paul says, but each, of his, uh, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another, right? They're diverse. 1 Peter 4, 10, Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, which brings up a whole other aspect here. You may have giftings that you're not stewarding well. See that? 
If you're not using giftings to serve the body of Christ and to change the world, are you a good steward of God's grace in that gift? That's what Peter's saying. They're all different. Everyone has one. So use it and be good stewards of the ones we have. Paul is the main writer that talks about spiritual gifts. If you want to go deeper in this uh, conversation, Romans 12 is a great chapter. 1 Corinthians 12 the primary chapter probably, Ephesians 4, a great chapter, and in 1 Peter 4. There's also some things back in the Old Testament as well. But you each have a sling, you each have natural gifts, and you each have a harp, supernatural gifts that God has touched and wants to use for his glory and his purposes that are more than you. (laughs) And they all come from the same Father. Look with me. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And down in verse 11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God is the giver of these gifts. And he's given them to our church, to us, to be a blessing. Different gifts for our communities where we live for the people around us to meet those needs. And God wants to use our gifts together. I love the story at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, around verse 20. He gives this metaphor of the body. He says, will the hand say to the eye, I don't need you? No. Or the eye to the foot, and they all need the heart and the brain. Like every aspect of the body needs the other to do things. In the same way, each of your gifts are needed. God has given each of us the gifts he wants us to have for the purpose he's created us. This morning, I want us to just kind of reflect that if you're a follower of Jesus, look right here, we're almost done. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you know him, then you are a masterpiece, regardless of what your family thinks or you think. It's about what God thinks. You're a masterpiece. And in that, God has gifted you to walk in good works. What are those? Are you doing it? Like seriously, can we just stop? This is me looking in the mirror going, Drew, are you doing these things? Are you really, are you being a good steward of the things God has gifted you with? Or have you gotten distracted Because if there's one thing that's easy to be right now at this time in our world, it's distracted by everything else. The enemy wants to distract us online, at work, at home, in our relationships, our own worry of ourselves. I mean, everything. God's saying, get over yourself. You're not the story. You're the bit player. You're the underdog. I want to use you, but it's his story. And surrender to that. Find your place and begin to walk in that place. Let's discover together what our gifts are and get to work filling the world with Jesus' love. I like this quote, last quote from the book. It says, it's our mission to bring that future into the present, to make the kingdom tangible everywhere. I love that. The kingdom tangible, something we can touch 
to proclaim the good news throughout the world, to see disciples of Jesus fill the earth with mercy, justice, love, truth, and beauty. One way to do that is by using your sling, your natural gifts, and your harp, your spiritual gifts, to work toward that end. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, use what you've given me, who you've made me to be. Friends, can I just tell you, get in the game. Get off the sideline, get off the couch. Get off the selfishness that all of us struggle through and say, Lord, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. What would you have me do? How would you have me serve? Where would you have me go? Because life is not about me. I want to tell you one story before we go. My beautiful wife just turned 50. Uh, It's okay. She told me it's okay to say that. Um, She celebrates it, which I love. She just turned 50 a a little over a week ago. And on her birthday, her birthday gift, you know what she wanted? Wasn't a diamond ring, it wasn't something fancy, wasn't even dinner out. Uh, Well, she did kind of want that. Uh, But she said, I wanna wake up at 6 a.m. And this is when she got my attention. I wanna wake up at 6 a.m. and I wanna go climb Pinnacle Mountain. And I was like, you wanna do that by yourself? Why would you wanna, you know? No, I didn't say that. I said, really? (laughs) That's what you want? Okay. Because we love her so very much and we wanted to give her this gift, our whole family wakes up at 6 a.m. on her birthday. And we're jazzed, man. We're ready to go. And our our dear friends, the Browns, came and uh, hiked with us. And so we go up this mountain. It, it takes a long time. You know, you get started at Pinnacle, and you're kind of like, duh, 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 it's going to be a great day. You can't wait. And then, like, from here to the back of the building, you're like, whew, whew, you know. And they have these, these little signs from 1 to 10. And you're going, we're only at 2. You know, you're just looking straight up. So we struggle. We struggle. Okay, I struggle. I struggle. They're ahead of me. I'm the one back there going, okay. I didn't die, so that's good. Thank you, Lord. Uh, and I would sometimes, when I got close to the number eight and nine, it's, it's kind of steep. And I would go 10 or 15 feet, and then whew, whew, I'd have to take a break, take a breather, right? And then I'd go 10 or 15 feet and take a breather, because that's what I had to do. And I was just thinking, once we got to the very top, and of course, if you've been up there, you know it's absolutely stunning, beautiful. Look at Lake Maumelle, look at the Arkansas River, look around West Little Rock, and it's gorgeous. And I just was thinking, you know, if we took all the effort to climb this mountain and we got up here and this view wasn't here, I wouldn't want to climb that mountain, right? I mean, if all of it was a struggle with no payoff, if all of it was just difficult and my heart about to explode out of my chest and then nothing to see, why would we do it? And friends, what a point I'm trying to make is that, that what God showed me on that hike is this is life. It's a climb. It's a journey. And if you know Jesus as your Savior and you know your gifting and passion and story, then you get to see the most amazing view you could ever think of. And you could go, God, this is the purpose. 
for my heart beating out of my chest back that time in my life. This is the purpose for that struggle and that wound that I walked through. This is the purpose of that difficult season. This is the purpose of us not being hardly be able to make it financially. This was the purpose of that difficulty. This is the purpose of that celebration. I can see it now. But if you don't know your gifts, you don't know your passion, then it's just a climb that stinks because you never have the view of what God wants you to see. Oh, friends, it's beautiful when we submit our hearts and our lives and we go, Lord, it's not about me, but I want my life to matter more than this climb, more than the difficulty of this moment in my life. There's breath in my lungs, right? So there must be purpose for my life. I'm not an accident. I'm not just something that happened. No, God in his design created me fearfully and wonderfully in my mother's womb. And knows all my days. And so there's a purpose for my life. It's time to find out. It's time to get to work. Right? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we love you so very much. God, we are unworthy to be called yours. We're unworthy of these incredible gifts that you give us natural or supernatural but my heart and my prayer this morning Lord Jesus is that by your spirit you would help your church your people get a sense of something greater than themselves because many people have come in here today and they're frustrated they're weary from their marriage relationship they almost can't go anymore They're exhausted from their financial situation. They're worn out, God, with their physical condition, whatever the case may be. And they're saying, really? You're telling me that I can do more, I can be more, that there may be a purpose for my life that I don't see? I believe you're saying, yes. We don't compare it. It doesn't have to look like this or something else, God. It's exactly what you've created them to do connected to what they love, to what they're passionate about, and to where they've been. And when we get all those together, there's no telling what you want to do with any of us. You handpicked a little shepherd boy off a dirty field, caring for dirty sheep, singing songs to himself and wondering if life would ever make any sense. And you anointed his head with oil. And he became the greatest king of Israel apart from Jesus. Oh God, what can you do with me? I don't see it. Many of us don't see it. We see the mess. We see the mistakes. We see the sinfulness. We see the lack of faith. And yet, Lord, in faith, you say we're a masterpiece. Lord, by your spirit, I pray right now that you would sink deeply into the hearts of your children this morning, that they are a masterpiece and that they have an assignment to be about. May we find it out. May we know our gifts. God, give us courage when we face the risk and the stretching of faith to step into these gifts. And may you use us, Lord Jesus, to fill all in all in this world that your kingdom might be tangible, that your will might be done, and that you would use us for your glory. 
That is the role of your church. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.